Adventures. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hello, welcome to Talking Teenagers. Today we are very lucky because we are talking to Sir Anthony Selden. Hello, Sir Anthony. Hello, James. Hello, everybody. <laughs> oh, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for your time. What I would love to just kick off with is, in many ways, I see you as the godfather of this world of wellness and well-being. Where did, on your journey as a, as a teacher and then ahead, where did your sort of heart to see educating the whole person really come from? Many ways to answer that, but I was never particularly happy, James, when I was at school. I was at university more, but then when I became a teacher in the 1980s, it occurred to me that that, that if a child who I'm teaching is physically uh, healthy, uh, if they are self-confident, if they are indeed happy they will not just behave better they'll be able to concentrate better they'll be more receptive they'll be better communicators in class and from every way that was again so at that stage I was really just noticing that correlation between physical and mental health and their enjoyment and effectiveness at school but it then took me another couple of decades to get to the next stage. And what precipitated that that next stage? Well, uh, I was then moving from a school called Brighton College, where I'd been the head in 2005, to Wellington College in Berkshire. And before I joined up, I was meeting a group of prospective parents. And one of them said, if I was to send my daughter or son, I can't remember quite which they said, Uh, to you at this school, what would you most value? One single thing do you most value in your children at the school? And I said, without thinking about it, well, that they're happy. Then the rest of the meeting went on, and at the end, somebody came up to me and said, did I know that you can teach children to be happy? And I said, no, I didn't. Uh, That's interesting. Tell me more. And uh, the mother did. Uh, and through that, I then got to hear about uh, the work that has come out of the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, that was coming together with the realisation of my own life. And as a father of three children, two girls and a boy, that it, I could perhaps, uh, as a parent, have been doing more to, to, to look after my own children too. So can I ask, uh, I have read before, but what are the essential ingredients of a happy lesson? What are the the sort of tenets of the happiness curriculum? Well, I think a curriculum is a better word than a lesson. And there are key factors that actually, this is difficult to say this, because I've never ever met in 20 years of running schools a parent who didn't think that they were a good parent. But in truth, not every parent is good. And some parents are, are... very far from good. There's almost an inverse correlation to one's goodness as a parent and the self-assessment of one's (laughs) uh, sense of how effectively one does one's job. And, you know, the job of a good parent is is to let the child uh, 
uh, become autonomous, become independent, become their own person. And then what you're trying to do as, as a, a good parent is to help your child fly. You're not trying to weigh them down with weights and complexes so that they can't fly. And you are, um, neither are you depriving them of love. You're not smothering them in love. You're not depriving them of love. They, they, they need two wings to fly. And, and those wings are made up of a sense of... Um, uh, of self-confidence uh, and freedom and, and affirmation and self-acceptance, but also a sense of responsibility and boundaries. So it's not, you know, and, and the good parents uh, will give the child both conditional love, but unconditional love as well. Uh, and uh, so that, that, that they are able to take off. And, you know, it's really interesting that the children in their 20s who want to come back and see their parents and keep in touch and have a great relationship with them are not the ones who felt deprived of love because mum and dad were so important and so busy that they just were not around enough for them, nor are they the ones whose parents were slightly inadequate maybe, so they were smothering them with love or the parents who were trying to live their life through them. I mean, you know, dad who never made it to their first 15 you know, pressed his son or mum who never got to Oxford uh, pressing the daughter. Actually, you know, it doesn't really matter what the parents want. What matters is what is right for the child and what the child wants because then they are making their own life. And where, where the parent helps the, the, the bird, the child to fly, the child will want to come back. Uh, 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 and where they don't, they really won't or will only do so under a sense of duty. Mm. So the good parent, is, which, by the way, is a, only a good enough parent because every good parent will make mistakes. We all do, of course. And not to beat oneself up is important about it, but you know, you're letting the child become their own person uh, uh, and to be whatever they want to be. And if that means that you know they're not going to be a, a lawyer in the city well you know hey what's better to have an unhappy lawyer in the city to self-harming having breakdowns can't cope or to have a really happy uh, person who is say a teacher in a, uh, a a school in dorset i mean you know let the child be how does a school curriculum help that and how does a parent choose a school that's going to to best fit? Well, in the last 10 years, more and more schools uh, say that they are all about happiness. They indeed, say it, they are. <laughs> indeed, it, 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 it's very unusual to find a school of prospectus or website that says uh, we believe in unhappiness. Indeed, I think it would be a positive recommendation to go to one that would be honest enough to say that. But they're all saying it because they all know that's what parents are talking about. And you want to find a school that that actually the child themselves wants to feel happy with. I think certainly for senior school, it's much less about what the parent thinks and much more about what the child thinks. The child shouldn't, that said, necessarily want to go to the school where all their friends have gone. It's important to go to one that, you know, makes a really big decision where they can just see themselves flourishing. And, um, you know, that's very important. You know, we have to accept also that even in the best school in the country, by the way, which isn't the same as the school that comes top of league tables, but genuinely the, the best, the most humane, civilised, distinguished school in the country, whatever that is, there will still be unhappy children. And actually going through unhappy per periods as a child, adolescent, uh, 
somebody in your twenties and, and and the rest of life is part of life. You know, part of growing up is not the avoidance of unhappiness, but it's the coping with the unhappy spells. Out of that comes wisdom and, and true learning. And how does a parent do that? How do you support a child through that without sort of doing it for them or without being completely disinterested? Well, you have to be firm and clear, and there's a and there's a time for affirmation and love, and the art of being a parent, and it's an art, not a science. You know, reading books, listening to podcasts might be a good thing, but actually what matters is is what the parent does so to be present-minded is the most important thing because when you are uh, in the present moment you're most likely to, to come up with the right thing and it may be something you didn't expect to say to your child and it isn't always giving them what they want so there's a time to to yield to what they want and it is connecting with them it, it's loving that them and it is saying no to some things that are going to be hurtful and dangerous to them. At the end of the day, it's important that they know that they will always be loved, but that there are always hopes and expectations that the parent has of them. Uh, the, the, the cause of unhappiness more than anything is the sense that the child was not loved. It's hard in life to combat that. If a child feels that the love was only conditional, you'd you know be loved if you've got good grades or got into... Uh, this or that senior school or got into this or that university or got this or that job or married this or that person, then part of the person will never feel good enough. And that's the ego of the parent transferring into the uh, territory of the child. So the difficult but not impossible to come back from that. And so it, it, you know, you, anybody who's saying on the podcast, do this, do that, is, is foolish. I'm saying love conditionally and unconditionally, uh, but to be present with your child. Uh, and by the way, being present also means hugging them, uh, touching them, putting your arms around them, spending time with them, having meals with them, going away on holiday, mum going away on their own with son and with daughters at a certain age, dad doing the same, so that you build up a one-on-one -on -one special relationship. Uh, there is nothing like time together, doing things together, uh, actually, working at the weekend for many parents is completely unnecessary and should not get in the way of time with uh, children. And the children might give the impression that they don't want to spend time with the parent or that it's boring or, or that um, they don't know what to do, but actually they love it. So it's incredibly important to spend those uh, quality times and to do things as well. I mean, it could just doing could just be going to the cinema. It's quite easy or going out for a walk or it could be going to Bruges uh, on Eurostar and spending a Saturday night just with mum or with dad. You know, it, it, there are invaluable times, and it's when you spend time with your child that actually realise how much your child has changed since the last time you spent time with them. And you get to re-know, you, you know, being parenting is a constant ratcheted sense of relearning who the child is, and by the way, when you're doing that, you're also relearning who you are. I'm interested in what you say about physical touch, because I read some research recently that said that hugging your child and as a teenager is that even more important sometimes than when, than when they're little and it's something that I think parents don't widely know is it that actually that although they might not go looking for it to, to hug them and physical touch at that stage is important yeah that's really interesting and and um, so uh, 
our oldest child used to write a column called Teenage Angst in The Independent, when The Independent was a, a print newspaper. Joanna, my wife, who was my wife, and I, we, we were very struck by some... We'd kind of look, we'd look at what she said without ever uh, letting her know. And by the way, ah, health warning, don't look at, as a rule, uh, what your children are doing. I always would say to, unless you're very worried... It's important that your children have sacrosanct space and, and phone calls and media, social media space. But we did look at what she printed online when asked about hugging. And a teenager, the angst question to her was, what do you do? And Jessica said, you should hug them back. And this is very important. Even when the teenager gives out every single possible sign under the sun, they don't want to be hugged. That's, there's no reason not to hug them. And indeed, it's probably a very good reason for hugging them. So, you know, physical contact is, it takes you way beyond thought, way beyond even emotion to put your arms around somebody to feel completely accepted, to feel their heart beating against yours, is an extraordinary experience. But so is touch in general. You use the word connectivity. I think it feeds into that, doesn't it? Well... Somebody went to my school, said once, only connect. Uh, and um, uh, that's important because it, we connect by far more than words. We often, we often give words far more stress than they can carry. Words really only take us so far. And physical touching uh, and actually recognition that it's safe. And I think that also teenagers learn then what is parental and, and sisterly physical love, which is then different to, to sexual love with people of their own age. It, it helps them to understand things more. And I think that some parents can pull away at as a teenager, as the girls grow up, uh, as the boys mature and somehow feel that it's, it's inappropriate but it's not. It's highly appropriate and highly important. And I think habits of hugging, like all habits, can become embedded in families. And by the way, if always a message in what I'm saying is, if you haven't done any things which uh, listeners might think are good, it's never too late to start. And one can always retrieve any situation. Where would you suggest the sort of areas for unconditional love are? Is it around sort of work ethic and... Um, And what about those areas where teenagers become teenagers and they're exploring and they're moving into new spaces and you're thinking, no, I wouldn't go into that space? Well, James, I wish that I knew more about why some children go into very risky behaviours, will start taking cocaine, start taking start doing things that are dangerous or antisocial, carrying knives, shoplifting. I think that you know, you're know you more likely to see that happening from those where the child doesn't feel accepted and they're looking for space. I mean, a child who feels loved and, and recognised and accepted by their family and friends has much less need to go and get wasted, you know, to get their mind trashed on cannabis or vodka you you don't need to do that I mean you might once or twice but the child who doesn't feel unconditionally loved so your question is uh, when does a child need to feel that well I think ultimately they always need to feel that and they always need to feel that that what they've done is good enough 
you know, if if they haven't got this uh, uh, set of exam grades, or they haven't got into this set, or they w were not chosen for this team or for that activity, or didn't get to that university, actually, it really doesn't matter. So I was often having to pick up um, from uh, parents who didn't get children to get into Oxbridge. The, the child would say, go on to Durham or Bristol or my university, Buckingham. And, and, and you know, they'd come with a sense that somehow it was second best and that they carry that with them throughout the three years. And it's, it's such a shame that, that they feel like that because it's the parents' transference of, of, it's their projection. Actually, if the parent truly loved the child rather than loved themselves, they would just accept, you know, hey, you know, children did, didn't uh, didn't get in, that's fine, you know. You, you've got, you're going to X, that's a fantastic place, you're probably just as happy, you may actually be well, you may be far more happy. How do um, schools' parents best prepare their young people for university? Because university is a place now that's well documented to be you know, battling with lots of um, mental health challenges and issues. And often one's hearing that you know, the, the increased freedom and too much freedom and too much time is leading to young people really battling and not knowing how to deal with it. I think there's more freedom than there was when I went to university 40 years ago or 30 years ago or 20 years ago. Um, there was always unlimited cheap drink. There was nobody saying, careful how much you drink. There were lots of people who were doing precisely the opposite. There were always liberal quantities of drugs, uh, liberal um, opportunities to explore sexual uh, relationships, etc. And um, so it is a very big transition between school. I mean, for the child who's been living at home for the first 18 years of their life, and then they go off perhaps the other side of the country to a university, living away from home for the first time, no one overseeing their even matters like what they're eating and laundry and whether they're getting fresh air and how hard they're working, what time they go to bed, when they're getting up. You know, I mean, children don't suddenly learn this over the summer holiday between finishing A-levels and going up to uni. And schools are some try, but the reality is, I'm afraid, that, that they're not well set up, really, to provide that kind of, uh, of preparation. And anyway, the young people are not really in a mood to listen what can a parent do? A parent can just start talking about it, getting them to think through. Asking questions is always a good thing. You know, what would they think about this? How would they handle that position? It's about helping them on a practical level, learning how to cook, learning how to open a bank account, manage their money, think through what a sensible budgeting procedure is, how they're going to transport themselves round about helping them to understand more of the school hasn't already done, so the importance of exercise. You know, you come out of schools where you've had lots of exercise often and suddenly no one is going to notice if you haven't, uh, you've gone through your whole first autumn Michaelmas term and you have not, um, you know, been running after a ball or taking any exercise at all, you know, and, and it's a big change. Uh, and a lot of people then put on weight, young people, they've changed from having very healthy food, perhaps much less healthy 
food and maybe not having enough vitamins. Yeah, I mean, your parents just need to talk it all through and, and the practical, but also the emotional factors. What, you know, what do they think about this? You know, what, what do they want? You know, how, you know, girls, how can you help girls recognize they're going to be put in positions where they, if they drink too much and they're in a position where there are lots of people who've drunk too much and there are opportunities, they might find themselves in positions from which they're going to find it very hard to extricate themselves. You know, do they want that? Or, you know, if they're going to be leaving parties and they've got, uh, they've missed the last bus or it's too long to wait for the night bus and they've got three miles to go and they can't get a taxi if they can afford a taxi anyway and they're walking, the fact, you know, how they're going to deal with, you know, people who are going to be swooping down on them as they come under a railway bridge, you know. I mean, there are, you know, mostly great people in the world, but there are some very, very evil and dodgy people out there who will prey on on girls, but also young males, as we've seen recently in Manchester in uh, the news. Mm. So it, it's about preparing them. It, and it's not just... A lot of parents are, are, are uh, reluctant to take on their children. They want to be pals with them. They don't want to, you know... <laughs> the, the other day, um, I was hearing the tragic story of a child who is yes a child late 20s who is now permanently in psychiatric hospital because the father who was a senior lawyer from the age of 13 smoked spliffs with him and so he just carried on smoking spliffs became natural couldn't relax without spliffs uh, and then passed that snapping point where the brain just couldn't process it you know you have to be careful you you, you a good parent is, is not a mate you know we're not there to be mates uh of our children you know get your own friends your own age you know get out of their lives um you know or get out of inappropriate areas of their lives and anyway yes right yeah i'm, I'm interested in how you see the sort of i mean you obviously had a lot of time in, a, in education as heads university do you see any trends looking forward next five to ten years for for young people and any kind of things that you, you can see happening or changes afoot? So I think that universities are responding in the same way that schools are, but it tends to be chucking more money at therapy once young people have developed self-harming or uh, eating disorders or depression or anxiety syndromes or uh, phobias or addictions. Um, they're still not, and neither are schools doing enough to build up the vocabulary of helping, of wellness. You know, what can you do to prevent rather than what do you do when somebody's fallen off the edge of the waterfall? So I think that universities are catching up. My own university here at Buckingham, we lead on this positive psychology, the, the steps that young people can take to be in charge of their own lives. Uh, we also are a drug-free campus so we don't think that uh, illegal drugs play any part a necessary part in a young person's life and that at too many universities young people feel a social pressure to uh, take illegal drugs or indeed to drink too much and that isn't what the great majority want so we're making a stand there but I think more and more universities will be moving into that space i think that in time that uh, smoking a spliffs will become as socially unacceptable as as smoking in in restaurants and and pubs and on trains buses now is so um you know we're we're, we're moving i also think that uh, food is important I think there's more of a recognition about what wholesome food is 
And if a young person is just having processed food and um, chocolate and sweets and alcohol without uh, vegetables and fruit and natural seeds and, and nuts and grains and cereals, you know, that's that, that isn't going to help them because they'll have a much higher percentage of chemicals in their body. You know, then if you're living in a in a cement jungle of walkways around the university and from the halls of residence to cement uh, lecture theatres to concrete libraries, I mean, you know, I think there's more and more of a recognition that, that we need to be in touch with the fresh air and nature, with natural food, natural health, natural exercise, natural relaxation, that this is what the body needs. The body is itself part of nature. Uh, we're not bionic, and so we're not artificial. So, I, I mean, I think uh, optimistic overall. I, I think that it, it requires parents to 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 recognise that a happy child is more important than what they deem a successful child to be. And I think the more quickly parents can recognise that, the more quickly we'll get the kind of groundswell of opinion that will get us into more psychologically healthy universities and workplaces. I love that line. A happy child is more important than a successful child. Well, did I do that with my own children, James? Did we do that? I think my wife was brilliant. And I think I learnt uh, late in the day. And just to finish on a, a story there, when I was moving between those two schools as head, our oldest child was on a gap year and she phoned and said she was finding it really hard to settle in into the Far East and into a school, quite a basic school where she was doing some teaching and she couldn't sleep. And I talked through a deep breathing exercise with her. And I, I was thinking you know, part of the time, you know, heck, you know, why didn't her school teach her how we can relax by learning deep breathing, which we can all learn? And if you learn how to deep breathe, you cannot have uh, panic attacks. Then I thought, you know, who was her headmaster? And I thought, actually, well, you know, I was a headmaster. And, <laughs> and, and that kind of made me then feel when I went on to Wellington that I needed to embed this stuff more in the curriculum. So it's easy to see other people who are not doing things and blame them. It's what really matters to everyone listening to this, if you're still with us at the end of this podcast, is that um, it's what we ourselves do. It's not what other people do. It's... it's um, Yep, we can have a small effect on our school, the school our children are at, and uh, our communities and, and perhaps universities. What really matters uh, is uh, what we ourselves do and uh, what matters is what we do ourselves now, always now. And on that note, we should say thank you very much. Internet. Absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on, James and James. <laughs> thank you. All right. and resources and help build self-confidence in young people visit their website at icaniam.com be a song